but we're following the life and the ministry of Jesus. We're going through his life chronologically. These are his passages, not mine. When I talked about unforgiveness last week and about what it does to people, it affected a lot of people. It really did. And I gl I'm glad for the, just the text messages that I received this week and how it did. Uh, uh, you, and what I said last week as a disclaimer, I said, look, at the end of John, it tells us that it wouldn't be impossible for all the libraries in the world to contain everything Jesus said or did. It, he, he's done so, he did so much more than what we have in our Bibles that if it was written down, everything, the libraries of the world couldn't contain the volumes of books. True. And so what that, what that tells me that whatever is penned out for us, whatever is in this book, the Holy Spirit was very selective very selective to put these passages in the scriptures for you and I. Uh, so we find ourselves Luke chapter 9, and we'll pick it up at verse 57. Like last week, we're only looking at uh, six verses here. I love that sound. I should record it. And when you guys aren't turning, I can hit a, hear that rustling of pages. Starting with verse 57, it said, It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man, no name, just a certain man, said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever, my old king, thou goest. Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He said to another, well, he said to another, to another guy, nameless again, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go, to go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but let me first bid, uh, go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God of God. Let's stand, please. Bible in hand. Lord, a God, Lord God, again, we recognize the word of God. We, we often do God's um, Psalms 138, where you've taken your word and you have esteemed it above your own name, a name above all names, a holy name, sacred name. And yet you took your word and you placed it above that. Lord, many of us here today, we hold this in our hands and we say, Lord, this is important to us. Every word from Genesis to Revelation, we want to know it. More than just knowing it, Lord, we want to be able to, to apply it. So we make that appeal once again, Holy Spirit, would you be the chief instructor here? Would you speak to us again collectively as a church body or individually as a son or daughter of God? Please, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that's just carrying some kind of weight, some kind of care, a burden, and those things will hinder them from receiving, 
from you, Holy Spirit, just come upon that person. Set them free. Give them ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Again, Father, we just pray that when we leave this place this morning, God, we would be able to testify truly we have been enriched by the Word of God. We love you for this book, God. And we just ask again for your anointing. In Jesus' name, everyone prayed. Amen. Thank you. When you read this, the sixth verse is here. It's kind of obvious that uh, what Jesus is dealing with is a desire to follow him, right? Three different guys, all three have a desire to follow him. The word follow is repeated three times in verse 57, verse 59, and also in verse 61. Reading this several times, and I've read it many times, but just trying to prepare for this morning. I think it's very important for everyone. If they have a desire, they want to follow him, and they want to serve him, that they look at these, these verses very carefully. These verses are filled with emotions. It's the, these men are emotional. Not, not in a negative. I don't want to act like it's a negative emotion, but it, nonetheless, it is an, it's high emotion. Um, and it tells us here that they want to follow Jesus and they want to serve him. To obey his word, to obey his commands, it is a deep down desire that these three have. This passage shows us the deeper meaning and purposes of a Christian life. You see, gang, I, I believe that a Christian life is much more than just getting saved and then going on your merry way. I believe with all my heart that when one does get saved, he's regenerated, the Spirit of God comes in, his whole spirit changes. Everything about him changes. I kind of like to do the raise your hands if, but you know, I know a lot of people are kind of, but if that's happened to you, would you raise your hand that your life totally changed when you invited Christ in? You know, a lot of us, that's really happened. But there are so many out there who claim to be a part of Christendom, a Christian, where they maybe said a sinner's prayer, or maybe they ventured out to a church, or Maybe they've been born, raised in a Christian home, but yet there's not a change in their life, in their lives whatsoever. Many of us have a God-given desire within our hearts. We know that there's much more than just saying the sinner's prayer. I don't question their salvation. Actually, I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to judge another man's servant, whether they're going to hell or to heaven. That's going to be up to them and the Holy Spirit of God. No, and that's not what this passage is about either. Some have tried desperately to try to make it that. They take it so out of context. It's not about salvation. It's about a call of God. It's about a, a desire, an emotional desire. Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, wherever you go, I'm going to go, you know. Hey, the rich young ruler, Matthew 19. 
Well, we don't know if he was a young rogue. We know he was wealthy, but a young man. Hey, I want, how can I have eternal life? Well, keep the commandments. I've done all that. I've kept, kept all the commandments. Well, then, guru, guru, well, he says, which ones? And then Jesus starts to name the second tablets of the law. He goes, I've done these since I've been a kid. He goes, great then. Go sell everything. Come follow me. He dealt with the emotion of the heart. The sincere desire of this young man was true. He did. He wanted to know how to have life everlasting. These three guys, they really want to serve him. They want to follow him. You know, the Christian life, there's so much more that's deep and purposeful. You know, first seeing this story and reading about it, the first thing that I thought of is it's, it is a challenge. It's a challenge for believers to stay on the straight and narrow. It really is. It tells me that just having a desire to want to be used in the kingdom of God, well, there's much more to it than just having an emotional desire to be used. There's so much more. In passage like this, is used by the Holy Spirit to keep us focused and to keep us committed. You see, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, He did forgive us of all our sin, right? If we believe in our hearts, God raised Him from the dead, and if we confess with our mouth, you see, we make that commitment our hearts to him. But in a way, we've also, or we should be aware of this, we also have committed our lives to him to allow him to use our lives as he sees fit. That's what it means by, I'm, I confess you are Lord. The Greek word, not to bore you, it bog you down with a lot of Greek verbiages, but it, kurios, it literally means, you know, I, it's not just a title. It literally means I've relinquished my right you know, and I'm, I'm allowing you now to govern my life. See, some people have confessed him as Savior, but they've never made him Lord. To be Lord of my life is a lot different than just making him Savior of my life. One says I have fire insurance. But the other says that I've, I no longer am the, am the Lord of my own life. In these verses, we see three different conversations with three different men. Two of these men will initiate the conversation. One of them, Jesus will initiate it. But in all these three conversations, you will notice there's a common denominator. There's a central theme. And again, I'll probably use this word over and over and over, but the passage that we see here deals with a commitment, but he's going to show us the weakness of their commitment. The weakness of their commitment. The problem is their commitment is, 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 is not wholehearted. Now, don't get me wrong. They think it is. But after looking at these verses very carefully, it isn't a wholehearted commitment. It's only half-hearted. And I'm, when, again, going back to the word curios. When we say, Jesus, we want you to save us from our sins. We don't want to go to hell. We want to go to heaven. 
Somebody say amen. Isn't that delightful to know? We say, Lord, we want you to be wholehearted on this. No half-heartedness on this one, man. We want to know if we were to die, to be absent from the body, God. Is your claim towards us, your service towards us wholehearted, or was it half-hearted? And of course, we'll come back and know it. God wholeheartedly came to die for us, held nothing back. The problem is we can do that. We can, we can make a wholehearted commitment not realizing, not purposefully, and still say, and when we look at it, this is just half-hearted. This is not a wholehearted commitment. And, I, and what Jesus does with each one of them, as I pray he does that with us in our private devotions, that he will show us. You see, gang, that's how much he loves you. You know, that's how much he loves me. You know, he's going, Harry, I see your heart. I know, I know you have all the, you have well intentions here and you just want to serve me. But buddy, have you counted the cost? Because when you do that, then say, Lord, I want to follow you. Because there's a lot at stake here, buddy. And that's what we see in this passage. Jesus will tell them, and again, I want to be careful because I don't ever want to stoke the embers or stoke the fire of non-committal. You know, I, oh, I want you to be committed. I want you to, at the end of this passage, to see what it does. And it might cost us to say, okay, we're going to follow you no matter what. Man, you love, you were committed to me, you gave it all, God. You held nothing back, God, and now all that does is stir up those embers, and I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be committed, I want to be in. As Jeff Wong once said in a teaching of his, hey, I want all the chips in. That's a little bit of gambling, though, isn't it? But anyway, the picture's there. All chips in. So these men in this, in, this, uh, in this story here, this section of scripture, they represent half-hearted attitudes. And just to make it applicable, this half-hearted attitude can surface in all of us at any given time. You know, you might have been a little bit more committed earlier in your Christian walk, more committed back then than you are now. Maybe life has just dealt something out, man, and you're going, it was a bad deal, man, and I'm having a hard time. I get that. Or maybe now, today, you're more committed than you were when you were younger. But the theme is here. The central thought is here. And he does that. He's warning us. He's warning you and I. You watch out for half-hearted commitment, half-hearted attitudes. I think it just, uh, we need to be alerted sometimes. You know, when we come to the Lord, it's really hard to believe that he would have anything to do with us. Did you sense that when you were, when you got saved, you couldn't just, you couldn't believe it. While we were still at enmity, while we were still at war with God, 
he would send his son to die for us. That blew my mind. When I got saved, it just blew my mind that he would look down from heaven, from the eternal, and he would recognize this kid from National Park, and he would save him. Still blows my mind today. Say, yeah, I know, it sounds a little maybe even um, elementary, but I still can't get over that he likes me. <laughs> that if I wasn't saved, he would still come and die for me. And then when he called me into the ministry, I thought that, are you sure you know what you're doing? It still blows my mind that he wants to involve me in the ministry. Still does. And I pray that you have the same attitude no matter where you find yourself in ministry. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher or whether you're holding a Bible study or whether you're helping around here cleaning up. All that. If you're in the service of our king, that should baffle you that he allows you to do anything. Give me a fat amen. The problem with, with, with not having that attitude is we begin to think that God needs us. We begin to think if it wasn't for God, things wouldn't get done. I mean, if it wasn't for us, things wouldn't get done. I actually know people who prayed themselves around and think if it wasn't for me, something would fall apart. Be careful of that. But by the grace of God, He, he uses us. And that is the only reason that he allows, the he allows us to touch something that is sacred and holy to him. Amen, guys? Amen. Let's look at the first guy. Again, verse 57, it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man. I am so glad there's no names there. There was a certain Harry Presley. I'm writing my own paraphrase Bible. It'll be out 2056. <laughs> but a certain man said unto him, I will follow thee whether uh, whithersoever uh, thou goest. And Jesus' response is classic, man. You know, foxes have their holes, the birds of the air have their nests, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, Matthew's account of this, for you note-takers, uh, again, found in Matthew, but it's, this is a scribe. This isn't just any man. A scribe was a religious leader, but he was known to be a copyist, um, that he would sit down and just copy scrolls, one scroll to another. They didn't have the printing machine. And uh, because they were copyists, um, they were considered to be experts when it came to the written word. If you copy it enough, you would become an expert. The next step for them would be um, to become a teacher, a rabbi. The scribes were connected um, with, the, um, with the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees was a, a religious sect. They were considered the legalist. They're Pharisees, Pharisaic in their mentality and way they handled the ministry. They were, scribes were also connected with the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were the, the liberals. They didn't know if they believed in anything, yet somehow they were connected to this religious group of the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. 
the scribes and the Pharisees, um, or I'm sorry, the scribes and the, um, the Pharisees and the scribes, pardon me, I'll get that right, um, were very hostile at this point towards God. And so to see this guy who has a desire to break away from them and, they, and he wants to follow Jesus, um, he, he, there was a lot of risk at hand here for him. Um, he, he's probably jeopardizing most everything he knows. He's jeopardizing his career, of course. He's jeopardizing maybe a relationship with his family, jeopardizing a relationship with his synagogue. Because at this point, people were saying, if you had anything to do with Jesus, you were marked. And, uh, but, yet, but yet he still does this. So it tells me that there's an emotional change or something happening within him. I, I don't know what generated it. I, maybe it was he saw the miracles. Maybe he heard the teaching. He's in a religious garb. They used to wear a big key, and that signified that they had the keys to, un to unlock scriptures, scrolls, the Torah, the laws, you know. Uh, and now he's willing to give all that up. Again, I want to make sure you understand this passage has nothing to do with salvation. It's, this is not a salvation message. This has to do with being a disciple and serving him. Notice that he calls him Lord in that passage. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. The emphasis is placed on whithersoever or wherever you go. What he's declaring here is wherever unconditionally. It doesn't matter where, you, where it is. I'll go wherever you go. And again, I believe with all my heart that this is a very sincere. In his opinion, it's wholehearted. And Jesus is looking at this guy, not with anger, not with disgust. And he goes, and if you don't mind with Harry's paraphrase, really? Kind of a thing. You really want to do that? Um, you know, the one thing that I want to bring out before I go, go any further with, you got to give this guy credit. You really do. At least he has a desire. Because many of the, it, during that day and even today, they, they have a desire to be saved. But when it comes to really serving, that lacks in the body of Christ today. And again, remember, I'm not trying to lay a trip on anyone. But and it's Harry's opinion here. It's just your pastor's opinion. That anyone who is born again of God and realizes the great sacrifice that Jesus gave, every one of us should be, have a desire like this man. God, I don't care where you go, I want to follow you. That's a great start. Even if we look further down into our hearts or further into the future and we begin to question, at least you had a desire to say, God, I want to follow you. Now, Jesus will correct him. Jesus, Jesus can say this. I'd be hesitant to say it to anyone. If someone walked into my office and said, Hi, I want to go into the ministry, really? Have you counted the cost? I would never discourage anyone like that. 
Somebody's probably sitting here. Yeah, you have. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I remember there was a, a, a man that came into my office one time, and he's kind of comes in. He doesn't say much, and I'm just looking at him, and I go, can I help you? He goes, how do you do this? And I go, do what? How do you do this? You know, how do you learn this? I might have discouraged him because this isn't learned. You can go off the seminary. I went off to Bible school. I'll bring that up again. And I have a nice diploma. It looks nice. It's funny because it's a, it says bachelor's degree in biblical science. It's called a BS. No, I'm, not, I'm just telling you what the diploma is. You know, it's... Underneath of it, what I wanted to put, what meaneth this? <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I'm so glad God called me to do that. I don't doubt for a moment that God laid it on our hearts to go off to seminary, Bible school type training. But I can honestly say I can count on one hand what I took away from it. The rest I purposely forgot about because it was detrimental. Listen. Jesus can say this. Jesus can correct this. A pastor doesn't have that right to discourage anyone um, from entering into service. In fact, I want to be the opposite. I want to tell all of you, man, serve somewhere. Serve in some capacity. But Jesus will test his commitment. When Jesus said the foxes have holes in verse 58 and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head, this was a challenge. And what this challenge was from Jesus is this. Have you counted the cost? It might require something from you in order for you to follow me like this. Would you be willing to follow me without the comforts of home? Would you follow me if it meant you had to give up something of comfort? You know, would you be willing to leave my pillow at home? You know, you're going to hire. Well, would God really call me to do that? Again, Jesus is the one saying this. Would you follow me at the expense of comfort? Would you follow me when all the excitement is gone? Because that does happen in ministry. People, I'm in the ministry. Yeah, where I'm in the Bible school. Man, when I get out, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, start this mega church. And then all of a sudden, all that excitement wears off. And now you're facing reality thinking, wow, there is sacrifice when it comes to the ministry. You do have to give up things. And sometimes it's, you have to give up the, the initial excitement about it. What the world calls necessities, you might even have to give up some of those. That's what he's saying to this young man. If he's young, we just know he's a man. And you know, Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, you might have to do that because that's the life I live. That is the life Jesus lived. Jesus didn't have a permanent home when he entered into public ministry. He did not have the comforts. He didn't have, you know, the, the, the chariots and, you know. And 
and, and two, about this guy. It's easy to throw around words like everywhere, anywhere, or those large words, never, you know. And I sometimes words are very easy to, Lord, wherever you go, you know, wherever, or however you want to take me, or those, and they can be sincere words, man, and meaningful. And even emotional, don't you think? Hard to live it. I think, guys, reading this, there's got to be a careful awareness. Please don't get me wrong. Don't miss, miss, miss what I'm saying. There's got to be an awareness to, to physical comfort, the addiction to physical comfort. Because you can, it can happen. It can creep into your lives. That I need to be physically comforted, have my comforts, or I really can't serve him the way I want to. And Jesus is saying, well, that's not the life I lived. Sometimes it's easier to, to quote somebody I've read and so that you can get mad at the guy who wrote it then I'm not me, but this is a quote. A lot of people in the body of Christ that has settled into a place of Christian living where if the demand of what God wanted them to do, even in the smallest way, if it infringes on the comfort in this, the least smallest degree, they wouldn't even consider it. And unfortunately, there are those that are like that. I'll serve if. Now, it doesn't mean, please, it doesn't mean you can't have a comfortable home. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you can own a my pillow. Is that what it's called? <laughs> you have two of them if you want. I, someone bought me it, and then my whole neck's like this all night. I go, what's this? Give me my pillow back. Earth says, your pillow is like a rock. Well, I like rocks. You leave it alone. I like to fold them up, man. I beat them and then I sleep. Honey, I want you to, it might help your neck. Oh, I was jacked up for a week. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we can't have nice homes and feel comfortable. God knows I love comfort. I love to sit in front of it. I have this little wood pellet stove. I love sitting in front of it with my Bible and I read. There's nothing wrong with it. What this passage does mean, though, is that if God were to call me to serve him and it would be necessary for me to give up those things in order to fulfill the calling that he has upon my life, I have to consider it. If God is calling me to serve him in any capacity, I have to reevaluate my life and what I have and what, what does God want in my life. I know so many times, so many people that have invited these certain comforts of life into their lives and it has been nothing but a hindrance to serve them with a whole, full heart. I look at this and I think, man, God, what you're really dealing with is just the attitude of our hearts. Now, notice man number two. I have to pick it up a little quicker now. And man number two, another guy comes up to him. Jesus says, follow me. But he says, Lord, let me, 
first suffer, or suffer me to, first to go, go and bury my dad, my father. Jesus said unto him, I'll let the dead bury the dead. I love that for some reason. But go thou and preach the kingdom. Now, this is the conversation that Jesus initiates here. Come follow me. And just to highlight that, you can put in your Bibles. What a privilege and what an honor it is to hear those words in your heart. I want you to come and I want you to serve me. I want you to follow me. However, you need to see the man's response here where he says, Lord, suffer me first to go and to bury my, my father. As harsh as it sounds, Jesus said, no, you let the dead bury their dead. I want you to go and preach the kingdom. You read that and you think, man, that's pretty brutal. You know, I can't, I can't bury Pop. <laughs> He's not forbidding him um, to bury his father. He's not doing that. So you have to understand that during that, can everyone hear me in the back? I'm kind of whispering today. Everybody good? Um, what, in, in their culture, and it is the same today in Israel for most part, that you bury your dead the day of their deceit, the day they die. They're in the ground within 24 hours in Israel. Uh, I don't know if it's like that anywhere else in the, in the world, but I do know for a fact, and especially during this time period, if you were to die, you were buried within 24 four hours, and for obvious reasons, of course. They didn't wait three days. They didn't wait 10 days like we do to make it more um, convenient for people that might be traveling and stuff like that. Um, so what he is requesting here is, I want to follow you, Lord, but could you just wait till dad dies? You know? And uh, well, the problem with that, um, that might take some time. You know, there, it, it, there's no indication that he was on his deathbed. He's just, it could, it could, and the reason why he said this, by the way, is because he wanted his inheritance. Lord, I want to follow you, uh, but there's some other financial thing, other issues I got to consider. Dad's not dead yet, but maybe he will die, and then I get my inheritance, then I'll be financially secure, and then I'll come and follow you. You know, I think many of us here today know that Money is never a good way to have a sense of security. Anybody can attest to that, right? It, not that I think it's humorous. It's not humorous. My heart breaks at first, and then I think how many people bank on their financial goals and their financial stability, and they say, that's what gives me, that gives me comfort. And man, that can go, that can go that just in the blink of an eye. You know, what, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Comfort comes because of our, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He is the comfort. Amen? You know, there are those, and I've run across this in the course of my ministry, who thinks that once they, they reach that financial goal, they'll be good, but then later on, they just need a little more. Did you ever run into someone like that? You know, you got your portfolio, you got your 401 or whatever it is. I have a, a 601. Six kids. They're going to take care of Irm and I. <laughs> a 
You know, I'm, only, I'm a little leery about who takes us, though. <laughs> I know one would just put me in the corner and put a bib on me. The other one would bug me to death where I would want to run away. And you know, in the early 1900s, the first billionaire in America, Rockefeller, there was a journalist that came up to him and said, uh, how much is enough money? You remember his response? A little bit more. You know, to someone who is just so wrapped around their finances, their 401s, that trying to make this comfortable lifestyle so they don't have any worries or, you know, it's never enough. And what they do, and God bless so might, but what they miss out on is all those years where they could have been serving the Lord. But they were so wrapped up in their security. They've missed it altogether. I talked to a guy over at Calvary Philly one time. We were talking about this passage. I don't know how old he was, but you could tell he was up there. And he was pretty well off, you know. He, had, he was a very successful business owner. And he, he looked at me and he said, Harry, the thing that I regret the most is all the years trying to build these companies, all the years I missed out serving him. And I thought, it just went off in my head, all right. There's something in this passage that we have to consider. How much time, really, do we put towards, I want to call it a false sense of security because it can go in the blink of an, a blink of an eye. You know what? We ever have another crash in the stock market? There are going to be more people putting guns to their heads because they were banking on all that. Let me, um, well, let the dead bury the dead. Let me explain that to you. Again, he's not asking him, you know, to ignore a, a great responsibility. What he is saying is that, listen, don't let this stop you. There are other people who are qualified and can take your place to bury dad. Don't let that, don't let that stop you from just dropping everything and coming and come to follow me. He's not asking him to be disrespectful. If anything, the Bible teaches you and I to be respectful to our parents. You know. And so we have to consider that. Another thing where he says, Lord, first... That's an oxymoron. That is not, that's, an, that's not a vocabulary should come out of any of our mouths. Hey, Lord, but me first. Now, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your will first? And then I'll do it. We need to be careful of that. And again, I bring this out to us all, gang, because um, I'm capable even of doing it today. When God lays something on my heart, like, has that ever happened to you? You know, God just, through his Holy Spirit, lays something on your heart. It could, it could be go speak to a neighbor, go speak to your loved one, or, or I want you to do this. Or, and it's so heavy on your heart that you know it's God. Can you raise your hand if that's ever happened to you? And the rest of you is, I just feel sorry for you. It's, there's, there's a glorious thing when God speaks to us. But you that did raise your hand, did you ever say, yeah, Lord, but let me first? Sure we have. We all do it. 
And God has a way, just like he's doing with these three men, to correct us. No, Harry, there's other people that I've raised up to do that. This is what I want you to know. But Lord, you know, if, I, if you let me go first. No, he's not saying he can't go home, you know. Look at number three, and I'll try to end this. Goodness gracious, that clock. The batteries are wrong in that clock. It's moving it too fast. Look at number three. Another said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at my house. Now, again, he's approaching Jesus voluntarily. He said, Lord, I want to I follow you, but I have to do something first. You look at this and you think, yeah, that, that could be a lot like me. You know, let, let, let me go home. Let me say goodbye and, you know, farewell. Let me give mom a good old hug before I take off, you know. See, the key word here is farewell. What we don't realize is that what he is looking for is family approval. In other words, this third guy is placing family approval above the call and purpose of God for him. I want to go home. Now, the problem with this, before I go into culture and mannerisms, think about it. How many Christians would be serving God if their service depended upon family approval? Now, I was fortunate, you know, very fortunate. When I, I remember when I went home and I, and I said to, to mom, uh, hey, uh, Irma and I are going to Bible school. Oh, that's so nice, honey, you know. But I've heard people, family members kicking other family members out of their, out of their house saying, this is crazy, what do you want to do that for? And and not have family support at all. And there's many people like that, and especially in other parts of the world where they're literally, they have to run because the family now wants to put them to death because of their confession in Christ. It isn't just about like missionaries that go through this. Let's kind of bring it down a notch a little bit. How many of us, you know, we, we catch grief we don't have family support by large and large because the way we raise our kids or the, how much time we spend in a Bible or how much time we spend in ministry and other family members look down and there might be a voice of criticism like, oh, they're, they're holy rollers. <laughs> my other fat, the other side of my family on my mom's side, I God bless them and love them dearly. But I remember they'd even disapproved of, of Thanksgiving prayer by us. So that we literally, my aunt got up and said, okay, it seems like now we need two prayers. We Catholics will pray a prayer. And you, whatever you are, you'll pray your prayers. Well, to say the least, they really didn't approve of what was happening with my family. Um, if you have family support, what a blessing, right? I pray that we do. We live in a very independent culture. This is, I'm leading up to something. Independence. 
I mean, think about it. When in my generation, we, we some of us were out of the house before we turned 20. I, I remember one time my buddy Tommy had an apartment right here in National Park, and I, and when I came home from from the Marine Corps, I went over to visit him, and we were just hanging around in his apartment, you know, just kids, and and one of the things we just couldn't have, man, we're independent, man. Nobody's going to tell us to do anything. We wanted to get out. We wanted a job. We wanted to have an apartment. We wanted to buy a car. We wanted to pay for our insurance. A little different today. <laughs> Just saying. And I'm not saying right or wrong, so don't email me, you know. Like, you could give them a Game Boy if you want to. I don't care. But, but that's the way it was in our culture, in, in our generation. Any, anybody here, same generation? Right. And we, we, didn't, we didn't want to depend on other people. We wanted our independence. But see, that's not what this is about, guys. In, in Middle East culture, patriarchal homes, dad could be 90 years old, and his voice, his opinion would carry a lot of weight. It's not like that today. I didn't care what dad thought at all. But back then, you would have family meetings. Families would stay together. People wouldn't leave the neighborhood. You know, you had grandmom across the street. You had the other family here. And then if there was a family issue, the aunt would come over. And, and you know, and, and the kids, listen, the kids must submit to the authority of their elders. And it's not like that today. And I'm not saying it's wrong, right, and different. I don't, I don't know. I can't personally. I wish we still lived in that kind of society. No, no, nobody stays in the same neighborhood. Families are all over the map. It's just the way our culture is today. I got a kid down in Tennessee, one down in Virginia, you know, two over in PA. Boy, but wouldn't that be kind of cool, though, where families would just all stay together. And until Grandpa passed away, he had the final vote. That would be cool, as long as he was coherent. Jesus, in his response to this third guy, says in verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, what he's saying is here, nobody, if you're going to follow me, you, you just can't, it's not about family approval. You're just going to have to put your hand to the plow because if you don't, you won't be fit. There's something wrong with that kind of service. Something that, something's wrong with that kind of attitude. If you're always looking back, you're never going to stay to the straight and narrow. And for farming, and I'm not a farmer, but I know enough that if you are hand plowing, that furrow has to be straight. Why? Other people are involved in it. What are you talking about? Well, there's one behind you that's sowing seed in there. There's one behind him that's covering the ground. And there's possibly another one is watering whatever things have been seed you can't just go all over the map you can't have your attitude and your emotions back there and you can't say let me go first bury dad and let me be financially secure no if we want to serve him there's got to be the consideration that we might have to drop everything and then go follow him it is a challenging verse it really is to me and you know why it's challenging because I thought to myself last night, 
If God laid it on my heart to go do this all over again, would I drop everything and go back to a living room with a couple crazy guys with guitars ministering to kid people in the streets, inviting people over? God, would you start another church? Would I do that? No, before you have me resigning, I, I'm not hearing that. But I did question the seriousness of my heart, as we all should. Would we just drop? Would we let go? Would we let go of some comforts? Would we think that we really don't need financial stability in order to f serve and follow God? And would I have to get family approval? Maybe. But would I go and serve him? Will I drop all my comforts and go teach a Sunday school class? You know? Amen? Amen. See what I mean? The Holy Spirit put this passage in this, in this, in our Bible at this time. Rich, you can make your way out. Maybe to challenge us today. Would you stand with me, folks? You know, I'm, I'm just going to challenge us, you know, in light of, of this text. No man and no woman, no one, no, no theologian, no, no one has the right to judge. But I do think we have the right to challenge each other. Amen? To encourage one another. And it's not like I'm trying to hype on, hey, we need help around here. We're coming up to a season where we're having, it's called the Heads of Ministry Meeting. And it blows my mind when Jerry, when Jerry showed me the list of people that are coming. There's over 30 volunteers in this church just heads that help run this place. 30. I just blows my mind. Men, women that just have dedicated their lives to serve Jesus. Some of them had to count the cost. They did. Some it was easy to enter in. Some it was hard. And so I just want to encourage us. If that's you, you're involved, stay involved. Keep serving our king. He's coming back. Amen. And if you're not, just ask the Lord to show you your heart. Why aren't you? It could be a reason. And it might be as simple as just laying it at the cross and saying, Lord, it's, it's been selfish of me. Unnecessary fears. I don't need all this. I want to come and serve you. You gave it all. I want it all uh, to give to you, not half-hearted. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of your word. I pray, Father God, as we leave here this morning, Lord, that the word that has been sown into our hearts, Lord, would find a place where it would find good soil and that it would birth good fruit. We love you, Lord. We want to serve you, 
And we want to we want the trump the blast. And then here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said together. Amen. Let's worship, guys, before we leave. <laughs>